Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Good to be with you. Family of God, that's what we're looking at today. And just like that, here we are in Advent, ready to journey to the manger, um, ready to experience the anticipation of the birth of our Savior coming to meet us. Our passage today is um, perhaps one you've not read out loud, heard read out loud before. I certainly rush over this most of the time. We're going to look at 17 verses today of genealogy, name after name after name. So I suppose our question as we get into this text is, can God speak to us through a list of names? Can the Holy Spirit stir in us as we listen to a family tree? Yes, I believe that he can. So let's open our Bibles and I will pray that the Spirit speaks to us. God, thank you for your word, all of it. Thank you for genealogies, for names um, in your family tree. Lord, we pray that your word would go forth today, would plant deeply in our hearts, that it would grow there, that we would be drawn closer to you. But Lord, most of all, we need to hear your voice. So quiet the noises around us, quiet the other voices, and speak to us that we might hear you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Matthew 1, beginning with verse 1. Settle in. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'll take, a, I'll take applause. That's fine. I will. So as we enter this Advent season, let me ask you a question. How many of you cut down your own Christmas trees? You go somewhere, you take a saw, you cut it down. Anyone? 
Couple? Okay, good. How many of you opt for a live tree, but you prefer somebody else cut it down, so you just go get one? That's us, okay. How many of you then have opted out of the live tree thing altogether and just go artificial? I mean, it is the same across all four services. <laughs> artificial is the thing. When I worked in college ministry in Western Massachusetts years ago, I didn't know at the time, but one of the students in our InterVarsity Fellowship would become the founder of the highly successful business, Balsam Hill. Balsam Hill, maybe some of you have their trees, takes the whole tree in a box thing to a whole new level. It's been voted number one most realistic fake Christmas tree around. And I've watched Mac as he's explained on podcasts and on talk shows how they do the research to get the trees to look real. It's fascinating. It's incredible. And it's so pretty. And every year I say, Adam, we should get one of those. We should just get one of those. But we still do live. So sometime in the future, maybe we'll get one. But recreating a beautiful tree that looks real is not an easy undertaking. Does the perfect tree exist? Every Christmas, we hope so, we go looking for one, whether it's live or shaped or constructed or from a box. We all long for beauty at Christmas, and trees are a big part of that beauty. When Matthew puts together the family tree of Jesus in these 17 verses, he carefully pulls together 42 generations of Jesus' history. Wow, 42 generations. That's a lot of records to pour over. And he would have had access to them. Temple records were preserved for all the priestly generations. Families kept records. Taxation laws required that families knew at least seven generations of their lineage. And for those who descended from King David, you can bet they knew every single family in their family tree. So we hear names as we read through this list that represent great epics. We hear heroes of the faith. We also hear names that represent stories that we would rather not tell our kids, at least not our young kids. There are names that surprise us. There are names we've never heard of. And there are names that remind us that every generation has the opportunity to say yes to Jesus regardless of what their parents or grandparents have said or done. In these verses, Matthew carefully and thoughtfully shapes Jesus' family tree to announce the good news of Jesus' birth. However, it's more than just a cognitive exercise in genealogy. Matthew's not just reporting a list of Jesus' ancestors. He's telling a story. He's shaping a theology. He's giving us a word about God. He's revealing the heart and mission of God as he opens up his gospel in these first 17 verses. In Jesus, God himself entered our world through a real family line. He entered human history in the same way that you and I enter human history, born as a baby. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. Jesus' family tree is as messy as yours and mine. It's all right here. But that doesn't stop Jesus from finding us, from finding you and including you in his family. So this morning, I just ask you to find your branch, tell your story, and be surprised with the good news that Jesus has been born to redeem you, to redeem your family tree and all families of the earth. Matthew begins his gospel with a big welcome to Jesus' family tree. Here's how it starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, now, similar to the other Gospels, Matthew does not wait until the end of his Gospel to tell you who Jesus is. 
right up front, the Messiah, the long-expected Savior. This is the one that you have been waiting for. By calling Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham, there's no mistaking who Matthew believes Jesus is. He's Emmanuel, God's promised Messiah. So from Abraham to David to Mary and Joseph, Jesus is the fulfillment, the final word of all God's promises. So pay attention. When God makes a promise, it will be done. Matthew's genealogy invites us to reframe the entire Old Testament through a new lens, through the birth of Jesus. Now, for those of us listening to Matthew's genealogy today, it wasn't that fun. Most of us not, might not catch an odd inclusion here or there, but for those listening in Matthew's time, everyone in the room would catch a few surprises as they listen to this. There are a few breathtaking moments in how Matthew constructs his genealogy. I'm going to focus on two of them this morning, two little surprises, two little hidden gifts in this genealogy that might help us see better who God is and, and understand more deeply how Jesus, the birth of Jesus, changes everything. So surprise number one is the women. Surprise number two is the math. We'll start with the women. Matthew anchors Jesus' birth in the history of Israel. He highlights the epic stories, the heroes of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Boaz, David, Josiah. But the surprise of this lineage is twofold. First, that women are included in this genealogy. And second, the women that Matthew chooses to include. Theologian Dale Bruner writes that usually the names of men suffice in biblical genealogies. Women's names are only added if they will ensure the purity of the line or enhance its dignity. So purity and dignity. In other words, women's names were not really all that necessary. If you look at the genealogies in Genesis and 1 Chronicles, you'll find a few names of women, daughters, sisters scattered here and there. But the family line is traced through sons. For the most part, Matthew follows his pattern, looking at the fathers, but he adds the names of five women. And friends, that's worth noting. And I just want to pause and say, from all the women in this room, just want to give Matthew a little high five for including us in Jesus' family tree. You know, we don't need the recognition, of course, um, but in Genesis 1, the mandate to be fruitful and multiply is given to both men and women, and women do play a small role um, in all of that happening. But after the fall in Genesis 3, the curse takes over. Women fade into the background. Could Matthew be indicating that the redemption of all humanity, men and women, the reversal of the curse, is on its way? I think so. But listen, because there's more. Matthew includes these women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, also known as Bathsheba, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Four of these women, these first four women, are, are well known in the Old Testament. We know them. We know their stories which is why these names give us a little bit of pause. If indeed women's names are only included in the family line to strengthen the purity and dignity of the family tree, as Bruner writes, then these women are an odd choice. These four do not ensure the integrity of the line of David and Abraham. Rather, they do the opposite. This is what we know about their race and culture. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab was a Jerichoite, Ruth was a Moabitess, and Bathsheba was a Hittite. These women are not Jewish. 
Now, Matthew could have included Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, the matriarchs of the faith. Their husbands are right here. They are the obvious choice. But he ins- instead, he chooses four non-Jewish women. And further apart from Ruth, these women highlight difficult moral and ethical moments in the history of Israel. Tamar, you may recall, pretends to be a harlot to trick her father-in-law into an incestuous plot. Deeper reading exposes Judah's sin against his family. Rahab is a prostitute who aids the Israelite spies and believes God's hand is at work. She trusts the Lord in that moment. And by bringing Bathsheba into the lineage, Matthew is highlighting David's lowest point of moral failure, adultery. Ruth is a foreigner, a widow, penniless, destitute. How did she get in to this family lineup? In all of our family trees, there are secrets that we prefer to keep hidden, stories that we don't really like to tell. Um, And in this moment, my parents are sitting over here wondering what I'm going to say next. (laughs) Don't worry. Our family secrets are safe. But Matthew puts them all out there, right? And then he shines a big, bright Christmas light on them. Look at these. It's almost like he poured over 42 generations of family history and pulled out the most questionable narratives that he could find. These stories disrupt the presumed and expected wholeness of Jesus's family tree. Matthew, what in the world are you doing? And we're reminded of Jesus's words later in the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew, the hated tax collector who partied with Gentiles and foreigners and sinners, Matthew knew firsthand the good news of Jesus. Jesus came to Matthew's house and dined with his friends. Matthew knew Jesus. He was never the same. So Matthew takes the genealogical form and he just adjusts it. He includes women and foreigners, stories of sin, What's he doing? Why can't he just show the acceptable line of Jesus' family? Well, because Matthew has met Jesus. He's been transformed. The way he sees the world is totally different. He knows Jesus, and he knows what Jesus came to do. And so from the opening lines of his gospel, the big mission of God is on display. Jesus has come for everyone, Jew and Gentile, men and women, slave and free, sinner, tax collector, The mission of God is big, friends. It's huge. It expands the entire world. Abraham received that in Genesis 12, that all nations and family lines would be blessed by the people of God. All, everyone, every person, from the Middle East to Asia to South Africa to our little corner of the world. The light of Christ dawns for all, for everyone. The birth of Jesus is good news for the entire world. The redemption of everything and everyone draws near at Christmas. So a second surprise in the family tree is the math. This genealogy kind of puts the math in Matthew. All right, come on, wake up. But we have to wonder what grade Matthew actually got in math. Our oldest now is doing math that I don't know, that I don't remember from my school days. We don't even ask him if we can help with math anymore. Sorry, Henry, you're going to have to ask someone else. But Matthew seems to love the number 14. Did you hear that? 14 generations, 14 from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Matthew organizes his genealogy in three generational waves of 14, um, highlighting the most important events, 
in the life of Israel. 14 by 14 by 14. So the first 14 generations lead to the pinnacle of the Hebrew history. King David sits on the throne. Listen to the song of Israel at that time from Psalm 89. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The longing of Israel in this time period was for a king. Give us a king. And God says, yes, but it's not David ultimately who will rule over you forever. An eternal king will rule, a king with everlasting faithfulness and steadfast love. The second wave then chronicles Israel's descent into exile in Babylon, the most difficult period of her life. The longing here was for a savior, a rescuer. Here's the song of Israel in this time frame from Psalm 28. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people, bless your inheritance, be their shepherd and carry them forever. We need a savior, one who will rescue us and carry us forever. Will God send an everlasting shepherd? Will God carry us home? Will he find us here? And then finally, in the third wave of 14, I look at these names, friends, and and many of them, unlike in the other waves, are just not familiar to me. These are not names that I know. Zerubbabel, who's kind of early in the 14 generations, I do know. He's He's prominent in prophetic writings. But after that, the names fade out. We don't have the stories of some of these generations. The last word that comes to Zerubbabel is this from Zechariah 4. Listen to this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So from the close of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, where Matthew's writing comes in, about 400 years passes with no prophet, with no voice of God coming to them. These are the generations of silence. But the the spirit of God is still stirring. He promises Zerubbabel. By my spirit, the spirit of God is still at work underneath, stirring and doing the work of God. And after 400 years of silence, the voice of God becomes audible again in Matthew right here. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called Messiah. Out of the silence, the stillness, the hopes and fears of all the years, Messiah is born the final word of God, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. From the highest pinnacle of victory, where King David sits, to the depths of despair, disorientation, and displacement and exile, and through the years of perceived absence and silence, the Spirit of God is steadily at work in history and in our lives, working, doing the work of God, 14 by 14 by 14. But back to the math. You might not notice this. I didn't at first. But the final generations of 14 only has 13 generations. There's a missing father. I didn't notice. But the first hearers of the book certainly would have known. known. So did Matthew make a mistake? Did he leave out a generation? Did he miscalculate? I would say unlikely. I mean, Matthew's a tax collector, right? His job is to count. Rather, I would say he likely and intentionally shapes the lineage to fit his 14-generation grid, but he leaves out one final generation. He leaves out a missing father. Joseph, we read, is the husband of Mary. Mary is the mother of Jesus. 
And we learn in the second half of this chapter that Joseph becomes Jesus' adoptive father, which is as good as gold, but that makes Joseph number 13. Who's the 14th father? Who's the missing generation? Later in this chapter, we get just a clue in the mystery of Jesus' birth and who the father might be. An angel comes to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so with the birth of Jesus, a new family tree begins to take shape, a new generation loved and cared for by God himself, God our Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We affirm it in the Apostles' Creed. A few years ago at Christmas, my older brother gave everyone in our family a really beautiful rendition of our family tree a few generations back, not 42, but a few. Um, And it reminds me, when I look at it, that I come from somewhere, that I have a story and a lineage, a family tree. I am connected to a clan, a tribe, a family. Just like Jesus, each of us, each of you, were born into a family as well. You have a family tree. You have a genealogy. Maybe some of you have traced some of that back and you know some of the stories. You were given the gift of life through your mother and father. You have aunts and uncles and grandparents and great-grandparents. And every branch on your, on your family tree has a story to tell. Whether it's good or bad or a story of trial or hope, one of despair, you are part of a family line, a family lineage. But there is another family tree growing in this world, a little different than the one you've come from. It's the family of God. And with the birth of Jesus, we learn a little bit more about this family tree. It's a tree of surprise and sin, a tree of messy lives, a tree of redemption and trust from the most unlikely places. And Matthew cannot wait to tell us about it. For if Jesus can enter the world through 42 generations of this chaotic family tree, he can certainly find your family tree and find you and bring you into his family. And so we give thanks for the stories of Rahab and Ruth, Tamar, Bathsheba, for in their stories we find ours. We discover a God who finds us out of love and care for each of us. Matthew presents Jesus as the tree topper, holding everything together. He is the crowning joy of thousands of years of history and preparation by God the Father. In Jesus, redemption shines brightly for a world in waiting. In Jesus, we are brought into the family tree of God with new brothers and new sisters. Through a simple yes, our branch is grafted in to the family of God, the tree of God. But let me say this, friends. In being given a new family, you are not unhooked from your family tree. I don't know if that's good news or bad news today. (laughs) But rather, you become an agent of redemption in your family system. Now, in Jesus, mind you, you aren't the hero of your family tree. Let me just take that pressure off. Jesus is always the hero. But through new life in Christ, your story becomes a branch of hope in your family tree. So, back to our original question. Can Jesus speak through 17 verses of names? (laughs) You bet he can. 
And the gift of Christmas, friends, is that every branch on your family tree is now at risk of redemption, including yours. Jesus has come to save. So find your branch, tell your story, and share the good news for a world that needs to hear it. And may the world in waiting know this Christmas that Jesus has come for all, for everyone. And may Jesus speak your name today so that you can hear it even now and know your place in God's family. Almighty God, gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Advent, for a season of expectation and longing knowing that Jesus is on his way. We thank you that in Jesus you drew near to us, that you came to find us for the purpose of not just redeeming our lives, but our families' lives and all families on this earth. Lord, speak a word of encouragement and hope to us this morning. Speak our names. Show us our place in your family. We thank you, Father. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot